welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. Today, Josh and I decided we would talk about the game of doubles. Many of you probably play a lot of doubles, whether you're a college player, adult league player, high school player. Um, it's, a, it's a major part of the game, even though at the pro level, we don't see it on television as much. But doubles uh, presents some unique challenges from a sports psychology perspective because it's a uh, well tennis is often thought of as an individual sport. Doubles is not quite that; it's a team sport, and so that brings its own set of challenges. So Josh and I wanted to to talk about that today, and I think the first thing we wanted to get into, Josh, was how do we form teams? You know, what, what's the best, you know, are there some best practices around that? What should we be thinking about maybe when we choose a partner or when we're first put together with a partner? Because we don't always choose that partner, do we? That, that's true. I mean, oftentimes, you know, high school tennis, college tennis, even USTA leagues at sometimes or other, um, other competitive situations, people are sometimes paired up um, against their, you know, against their will or even randomly. Um, and then it's it's sort of getting to the court and figuring it out as as you go. But um, I think we'd we'd all agree that a, a more ideal situation is when partners are chosen chosen intentionally. Um, thinking about a couple different things, thinking about personalities, making sure the personalities mesh on court. Um, also thinking about uh, in, players' strategies and strengths and weaknesses, and how. Uh, how those can match up, maybe if one of the players is a lefty or has a bigger serve or the other player is more solid at the net and thinking about how not only the personalities but the players' strengths as tennis players can match up to create a effective team. And I think also when you're considering a partner, you want to make sure that there's a mutual respect there, that your perceptions of each other's abilities um, you feel like this is somebody I can play with. Uh, because if we look at, say, the psychology of, of teams, it's very important that the partners in tennis get along. Absolutely. That there is some chemistry there, that there is some cohesion to that team. Um, so we want to make sure that there's respect there. Like if you and I are playing together, um, you know, we may have, like you said, different strengths, different weaknesses, but do we complement each other? Yep. Or do we have the same weakness? Or you know, so how are we going to figure that out? If again, in this scenario, we're choosing a partner, um, and so I think that that's one thing. And we also want to have maybe a um, a shared sort of mental model about you know how we want to play doubles. So I remember a long time ago, I wanted uh, to play serve and volley, and my partner wanted to stay back on everything. That didn't work out great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I think that there there also has to be uh, you know sort of a shared philosophy about how we'll play doubles. Otherwise, yep. that that's just going to create some some conflict. Um, so I, I think those are certain things. I, I think maybe commitment level to the game, um, making sure that we each have sort of a uh, a shared self belief that we can win. So for example, again, if you and I are playing like some high level tournament, Josh, and I'm like, oh man, those guys are really good. We're going to lose. And you're like, come on, man. I'm not intimidated by anybody. We can do it. We've got to have, make sure we come to a, an understanding about. Right. And I think, I think one of the important factors is that these things are discussed ahead of time. 
Yeah. You have that conversation with your partner ahead of time. Maybe this is somebody that you've been playing with um, or somebody that you were recently introduced to who you're playing with, but um, discussing all of these things, um, you know, rather before you get on court, you don't want to, Brian and I were uh, joking around a little bit before, uh, before we went live and we were saying, you know, you don't want to find out some of these things as you're playing. Oh, my partner's a lefty. Didn't realize that. Or, Oh, you know, they don't like to come to the net. So really, you know, finding out in terms of the strategy, you know, making sure you have a compatible strategy. And also, as you said, the way that you see the game and the way that you see the competition, making sure that both people are um, in, in line with how they um, see the opponent that, you know, if one player is more intimidated by the situation where the other is really embracing that um, challenging competitive environment. Um, or, you know, if, if one of the players says, you know, I, I can't come to the net. I just, I play back, you know, on my opponent, on my opponent's serve on, on my teammates serve, whatever it may be. So trying to sort all that out ahead of time. And I think the, the respect pieces is, is huge. I think also, you know, some teams, um, especially where, players are playing against each other in singles at times. Maybe it's high school or college or even USTA. Um, players play against each other in singles and, you know, maybe it's a ladder type environment. Maybe it's challenge matches and that can create some drama or can create some, you know, uncomfortable situations. And then when those two are paired up together in doubles, that respect factor can be a little bit of a question mark. So again, the more that you can talk and get on the same page, before you get on court, really the better. And I think uh, another aspect of this, and I'm, I'm curious if, if you see this in teams or if you agree, I think sometimes doubles players play different roles on the court. Yep. So for example, there might be one player who perhaps is a little bit better with strategy and that player could be sort of the captain of the team. That player might be the one calling more of the plays, being a little bit more assertive, and the other player may be really good at just following direction. Um, another kind of complementary role might be one player who's really excellent at finishing and the other player is just very good at, at keeping points going and they don't make any mistakes and, you know, basically looking to set up. And if there, you know, then there are a number of things in between those. Have you seen some of that when you, when you've coached Josh? Absolutely. No, I, uh, I think based on players' personalities, sometimes a player is more outgoing, maybe, um, maybe a player is more you know, more of a leader or more, maybe a player is the captain of the team and they're paired up with a freshman or a sophomore who's, you know, maybe a little bit more reserved. Um, and that player is more, com you know, comfortable calling the plays where the other player, you know, will just wants to execute on, on whatever game plan they've, they've determined. Um, or I think sometimes, you know, one player is very solid from the baseline and they're, they sort of view their role as setting up the net player. Um, two finish, two finish points. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think I think that that is definitely definitely happens oftentimes in in, in successful doubles pairings um, that you know each player clearly understands what their role is and what their teammates' role is and how they can best complement each other in that way. So they're not there's no power struggle there that's happening where you know each player maybe has a different philosophy on the game and they're both trying to lead the team or they're both trying to call the shots and then it, it just all falls apart. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So let's talk about that scenario. 
maybe we can give listeners sort of a checklist of what to do if you have had your partner selected for you. Okay. How should we approach that? What do you think? So I, I, to me, one of the biggest things is to have a conversation. Ideally, ahead of time, you know, if it happens to be on court, you better, uh, better talk quickly. Um, but talking about strengths and weaknesses, just real quick, um, maybe certain vulnerabilities to be aware of. Uh, maybe uh, somebody's very weak on their backhand volley. So you want to keep that in mind in terms of where you're serving. So you're not setting them up to, um, for that vulnerability to be exploited. Um, and then, you know, talking about how, you know, what type of strategy you want to have going into, into the match. So I think, you know, just quickly talking about those different pieces, um, sort of what is our overarching philosophy about how we want to play today? And, you know, what are some, some strengths and weaknesses to be aware of if, you know, if I'm going out on court with a partner who we've never played together, we've never seen each other play, we don't know each other. Um, so those, those are a couple of things right off the bat. Yeah, I think those are good. I think um, I've been put in this situation a few times because uh, I haven't done this in a few years, but I had played some uh, USTA 9-0 mixed. And at the time, I was the 5-0, and so I was always playing with a, with a, a 4-0 player and very often introduced to somebody. And yeah. I would do exactly what you just said. We would have a conversation in the lobby before we get on the court just so that, you know, the way I play doubles is a very specific way and specifically even more, more specifically mixed doubles, what I want the partner to do. And so we would cover that whole game plan prior to us getting on the court so that we had an understanding that, you know what, I'm going to be serving volleying on both serves. Yep. I'm going to be chipping charging on both returns. So I want you to be able to expect that. So what can I expect from you? Oh, you're a lefty, like you said. Okay. Because <laughs> I have had a couple of lefty partners. Um, and so I think it's great to cover that. And I think very often the person who is receiving that information, let's say I initiate it, the other person generally really appreciates the conversation. Yep. So that we go out there. Um, I think we were talking earlier that, that doubles, in my mind, it seems to be the only team sport in the world in which the team members don't really communicate as effectively as they could. Everybody's probably run into that, that person in their life who says they don't like to talk. On the court, and we'll get into that communication piece. Um, but I think the more talking, even beforehand, the more we're planning and talking about what we're going to do, the more we're making doubles like a real team sport. If you think about football and basketball and hockey, these teams are constantly talking outside of the the playing court or the ice. They really have a, a knowledge of what they're going to try to do out there, so that when they're out there. It's more or less execution of the game plan, and there's no uh, questioning of each other and, and, and so forth, at least at the elite level. I think the other thing to realize when we think about doubles as a team sport, and let's recognize, we're probably all introduced to tennis via singles, that tennis is an individual sport. So how often, Josh, do you hear somebody say like, well, that was on her side of the court, or this is my side of the court? It's actually our side. Or, or at the end of a match, 
what happened out there? Oh, my partner did this. My partner did that <laughs> without any sort of acknowledgement of your own responsibility for whatever happened out there. Yeah. Yeah. And that reminds me of one of the best uh, lines I've ever heard from a, a, a doubles partner coming off the court, completely throwing his partner under the bus. He just said, my partner just didn't have it today. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that is amazing. And it was actually the complete reverse of what reality right. was. So that was kind of funny. Um, but yes, we, we need we can't just be about my side, your side, blaming the partner. We're a team. If 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 we lose, we lo- it's the two of us that are responsible for everything. So it's I think a lot more of we and our yep. out there. So, you know, um, so I think, yeah, in terms of, uh, you know, how do we get, how do we gel together when we're, we're put together, we have to have those conversations about, you know, preferences, which side you like to return from. And, and hopefully whoever's put us together has some knowledge of that. Because if we're both great on the ad side, well, somebody has to play the do side. How are we going to work that out? Um, and certainly you know, preferences for strategy, it's, et cetera. So I think if we can have people go down that, that checklist of working through how we're going to play, how are we going to communicate, et cetera, um, so that when the first point begins, we're as tight of a team as we can be having been perhaps put together 20 minutes ago. Absolutely. And you mentioned uh, what side – you know, what side of the quarter are you going to play on? And oftentimes when two people are paired together and sometimes maybe they don't have the chance to talk until they're on court or maybe it's in the lobby beforehand, but that's, that's actually the extent of the conversation. All right. So what, what side do you like to play on? Yeah. Ad side. All right. Great. I'm, I play on the deuce side or I don't, I don't really care. Um, but if it's two players that, you know, really like to play the same side, somebody has to be flexible there. Or, you know, you have to think in strategically in terms of what what makes the most sense. Um, another thing that uh, I, I just thought of as you were as you were talking about most most players being introduced to the sport um, as singles players. And they, you know, maybe I, I, I think back to coaching college tennis and how many players they maybe they don't play as much doubles growing up. They're playing, um, you know local tournaments, national tournaments, um, even international, whatever it may be. And maybe they're playing more, um, you know, singles and it's all, it's all about them and their results. And then all of a sudden they're introduced to tennis in a team environment where you're number one, you're playing for your team, but also you're playing as a doubles player. And oftentimes, you know, even if a player maybe isn't as experienced in doubles, if they're one of the top players in the singles lineup, sometimes they will still be asked to to play doubles, um, especially in college where people can play both. Um, so it's you know it's it can be it can be challenging to to make that transition from tennis being a sport that's all about how can I figure out you know a game plan and how can I take responsibility for everything, where all of a sudden now you have another person on the other side of the on the same side of the court, and that responsibility is shared. Where if as you said, win or lose, it's not, oh, my partner did this. It's my partner's um, fault that we lost today, but it's, it's that shared responsibility and both players have to have that shared respect, but also that shared responsibility for the, the results of the match. Yeah. And I think that's an, uh, as you said, a, a particular challenge with college tennis and 
that then becomes really the, the onus is on the coach of the team to be developing that type of team culture yep. that helps a player come from that environment into this new team environment in which they are also not only being just a good teammate in general, but also a good teammate on the doubles court. Um, because we've probably both heard how that goes. There's always some, you know, after the match in an individual conversation talking about my partner. It, it happens and it, it really, we have to, as coaches, be able to um, not allow that, really put it all together. Um, so that is that is harder to do um, and, and certainly a challenge. And I think that then that maybe brings us to, okay, we're together now. How are you going to communicate on the court? Maybe we've had that conversation a little bit, although I, I would say that should go on the checklist, is how do you want to communicate? Um, or And I think we're going to try to give some best practices here for how one should communicate based on some studies with respect to winning and losing teams at a certain level. Um, but some players may have a preference for not speaking. Some players may want to talk after every point. Some players prefer signals, etc. Yep. Right. So we, we should have that, that conversation ahead of time. Um, you know, from your experience, Josh, what are some general communication strategies that you think work for, for doubles teams? Yeah, I think I think talking talking more more than less, and um, you know that could be between each point. We already talked about the um, pre match. You know how you want to get on the same page with your partner, whether it's a new partner, whether it's someone you've played with in the past. So starting there, and you know having a conversation um, about your philosophy and what you want to do on the court today, and also about the opponent. Maybe you've played the opponent before in, in singles or doubles. Maybe you've seen them play. Uh, maybe you've heard about them, whatever it may be. So having that conversation ahead of time, but also, um, you know, talking in between points and trying to communicate as much as possible. And, um, you know, having that communication include really, you know, strategic things or um, as, uh, you know, some of the research points out, action statements um, about, you know, really in terms of, all right, I'm going to return through the middle here in between the two players um, and also trying to support each other. If somebody misses a shot, um, oh, don't worry about it. You know, let's get the next one or, or here we go or something, you know, something like that where it's emotionally supportive. Um, so, and then also the, the last piece of this is the communication during the point. Um, whether it's a ball down the middle, somebody needs to communicate, bo ideally both players, but somebody needs to communicate that mine, yours, or like, I got it, something like that. Or if there's a lob and you have to switch sides. So to me, you can break it down between the communication that happens ahead of time, communication that happens in between points and the communication that happens during points. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about a bit more about the communication in between points. Cause I think that that's, Probably mostly what occurs, and and I, I like your philosophy. Let's talk more. Um, so I did a a presentation to an academy last fall on doubles communication, and because it was one of those um, USTA doubles weekend things, and so we wanted to talk more about that. And uh, as part of the presentation, what we did is we watched um, a Davis Cup doubles match. So. Roger Federer and Stan Wawrinka 
were playing uh, in the Davis Cup final against France. I think this was like 2014. And um, they were playing Beneteau and I want to say Gasquet. I'm not sure. I can't remember. Julian Beneteau and Richard Gasquet. Um, and all I did is I just chose a random service game. It happened to be a Stan Wawrinka game. And it turned out to be a great game to, to watch. Um, so, and, and I asked the players, okay, observe what is going on here with these great players. And so some of the themes that we saw is they talked after every single point when we were watching more Federer Vavrinka and Vavrinka was serving in this game. They talked after every single point, even if it was quick, the Vavrinka and Federer went up 40 love. They still talked after the 40 love point. But then the game got a little bit more complicated. So they, they talked more and more. And eventually they held, I think there were maybe one or two deuces in the game. They eventually held. And you could see that they called a very specific play to win the game. So they called a poach for Federer on the ad side. And he ended up putting the ball away quite, quite easily. Um, what we also saw in between is every single point the two of them just touched hands. So no matter what happened, and I think there was one error that Vavrinka made, uh, missed a really easy shot. Didn't matter. The two of them just came together, slapped hands, and were easily moved on to, okay, what are we going to do now? Very often the conversations were not short. They had lengthy discussions. They would often hold their hand over their mouth, so in case there's any lip reading going on, uh, from people, um, but they didn't use signals. A lot of people do use signals. I don't know if this is maybe a little bit less used on the Pro Tour because of maybe there's so much video out there and they don't want to be scouted for the signals they're using. So perhaps it's more, we're seeing more verbal communication at the Pro level, perhaps because of that I'm speculating on that. But I feel like I see more talking than I see um, signals so much. Um, so I thought that was interesting. It was good to show the players how in this close game, those two guys, uh, they talked more. And so that's what we see in some of the research is that in close games, the teams that are winning talk more. So I think this is an area of, of tennis in which, in, in doubles, where you can't really over-communicate. It would be better to talk more than less. Um, I think we also see, as you mentioned, more strategic or action type statements, or in the research, I think it showed that there was pretty much a split between those sort of strategic action things, like all right, I'm gonna we're gonna poach here, or I'm gonna serve out wide, or I'm gonna return up the middle, or I'm gonna return at at the net guy, and that was split between more emotionally supportive statements, where hey, let's go, and even if I make a mistake, Josh, you know I need you to help. And maybe that's another topic we can talk about here is how do you help that that partner who's maybe not playing great or lacking some confidence? So we want to make sure that we're we're being emotionally supportive out there and we're we're planning for that next point. I think um, you know in some of our discussions we've talked about how that in between point time is almost like a, a huddle time in football, and that's what you know if you look at you watch a football game, an American football game. They're in the huddle. They're not talking about where they're going out for dinner later. 
they're actually talking about a very specific plan about what they're going to do. And we want to make sure that we're doing that in doubles. I think too often, and this even happens in singles, we just serve and let the improv happen. And I think the more intentionality we can bring to how we want to win this point, the, the better. And I think that you know, the research shows that that can help to more, more winning. So um, any thoughts on that, Josh, or, or even thoughts on how do we help that partner who is who's struggling today? Yeah, well, a um, couple things stood out to me about about that, um, and I haven't I haven't seen the um, the video that you're referring to, but um, one of the things that stood out to me is that number one, they're talking between every point, and maybe that's why, in fact, they weren't using they weren't using hand signals because they just didn't need them. They knew where their partner was serving. They knew whether they were going to poach or not, or if they're going to fake poach or stay. Um, and maybe it wasn't needed. Also, the fact that even if they, you know, didn't talk so much, they at least, you know, gave each other a fist pump or some sort of acknowledgement that, you know, we're we're in this together. Um, I think that can be challenging for some doubles players. Let's say one player is really struggling on court for, you know, a, a period of the match. Maybe they miss; they're missing most of the returns. Maybe they've double faulted two or three times in a game. And, you know, rather than their, their partner saying, come on, come on, dude, like, like what's going on? Like you, you, um, what is that? Um, instead saying, you know, you got this, um, and something supportive. And I, I like that about, you know, again, we're talking about Federer and Warinka two two champions of the sport, but something between each point that, that just shows that support, even if it's as simple as a fist pump or, or fist, fist pound. Um, that just shows, Hey, we're, we're in this together. This is, um, this is a mutual, uh, battle here. We talk about tennis as a, as a combat sport. Um, and you know, you got this, like, it's, it's just that, that brief moment of support. Um, but yeah, so I, I think, you know, the more that players can talk in between points and also just support each other in, in any way, you know, especially that something simple like that in between each point, um, the other thing is the, the fact that, and again, you pointed to the research that shows that close games, um, particularly in close games, the, um, the added talking, added verbal communication really seems to oftentimes make the difference between um, those who win and those who lose. And to, to me, this makes a lot of sense because that, you know, in a deuce point or in a 30 all point or add in, add out. Um, that's generally when players get a little bit tighter and the nerves start to kick in a little bit more. So knowing that your partner has your back, knowing that you can go for it and not have that fear that, uh Oh, if I miss here that, you know, what's my partner going to say, or, um, you know, having that, that doubt in your mind, but knowing that you guys are on the same page, knowing that you're supported, um, especially in those bigger moments is seems to be really the difference maker between those that win and those that lose. Yeah. So I think if we could reiterate really those two points, it's just be supportive of each other, no matter what's going on and, and have a plan for every point, have some sort of intention about how you're going to win. Uh, in terms of support, we've probably all played with somebody who hasn't been that role for us. Uh, I can remember playing, you know, with somebody who, Every time I made a mistake, rolled his eyes, and that didn't make me play better. 
it actually made me play worse. And, and so I think even the, our style of communication can have a profound effect on our partner. Yep. And we have to make sure that how we communicate with our partner is enabling them to find their best game. The last thing I want to do is induce in you, Josh, a fear of making mistakes. Because then what's going to happen? You're going to tighten up. You're going to become more anxious. Um, your heart rate probably goes up. Stress levels go up. Um, and I'm going to get the exact opposite of what I want there. And so by realizing you know, how much weight our words carry, we have to help our partners, especially if they're not playing well or they're not feeling confident. How can we get them to loosen up? You know, so for example, let's say, Josh, you know, you're playing with me and, and you, you miss a return, but you took a good cut at it. I might say, hey, keep swinging at it. They're going to come. Just keep, keep swinging at it. I don't, I don't care. You're going to find it. Let's just move on to that, to that next point. I want to encourage you to, to keep doing the right things. Another thing I might do is, is, uh, let's say I'm the, more the captain of the team. I might give you something very small and specific to do that I know you can do. And just say, all right, all I need you to do is just get this ball cross court. That's it. Don't worry about anything else. Just get this one cross court and we'll take it from there. And I'm going to cut or do something out there. That way, if you can achieve that like one little thing, now we've built a little bit of confidence, a little bit of self-efficacy in that situation. Um, so these are just some little things that I think partners can be doing that service the team and not making it about you. Like, oh, God, Josh missed another return. What is wrong with this guy? Yeah. And it's I got to take responsibility. I got to take ownership now. How can I help him? How can I help bring him back to where he's playing his best tennis? And I think I think a piece of that is really understanding each other's games. So if you know that your partner has a great forehand, let's say, um, reminding them, especially in those tight moments, to to go for it, to to, to use that strength, um, because you know it can be a lot of players when they get tight, maybe they'll just go to the chip and they will stop really going for their shots, which you know they. It, it might seem like the safer play the, in the moment, but it, it's often not as effective. So reminding them to go for their go for their forehand, or if they're you know a big server to you know go for their server to even if they know a certain type of serve that their um, partner is best at, maybe it's a serve out wide, maybe it's you know a certain type of spin, whatever it may be, and to remind your partners of those strengths so that they can go for that um, in those big moments. Yeah, and use them more. Those yep. those are typically areas of their game they're going to be more comfortable with. There's going to be less anxiety around like that. that. It's like having a, a second coach out there. We often talk in tennis, it's it's just you on the court. And you have to be the coach. You have to I, – I know we've talked about it. I think you um, talk about it in your book as well, Brian, how you have to be the player, the coach, the referee. And in doubles – you still have to do all those things, but you have another another player, another coach, another referee out there on the same side, so you can at least share that burden and also try to you know help each other out in that way. Where if one player is really struggling, 
the other player can coach either in terms of the strategy um, in that moment or that that support piece. Um, so I think that's that's an important piece there too, that being able to coach each other and offer suggestions when needed. And I think when players do all this well, this is why lots of people love doubles. It gives them that team experience that many of us do love. <clears throat> we love playing for something, you know, a little bit bigger than ourselves and, and, and so forth. And, um, and so you, I think you've, you probably know this. A lot of players do prefer doubles over singles, not just because it's less court to cover, but also there's that dynamic that I love playing with this, with this partner. And I think, you know, growing up here in New England, I've seen a lot of doubles teams <clears throat> throughout my career stick together for years Oh yeah, at the, at, especially at the adult level, um, that they're just so effective that, and there's just such good teams. They complement each other well. And, uh, I remember having one of these teams on my, uh, my five O team back in the nineties, we went to the nationals and, um, this team was a, a team that they made their opponents work hard there. It seems sort of their average match length was always three hours in doubles, which is pretty hard to do. And, um, I recall watching one of the matches and I walked by and asked one of the players, okay, you know, what's, what's the score is, uh, you know, we lost the first and, um, it's, uh, you know, we're down three, two or four, two in the, in the second. And I was like, all right, yeah, let's go. Come on. You guys can do it. And he just very matter of factly said this to me. And I think the only reason he said it in a very matter of fact manner was because they had played so much together. He said, it's not like this is the first time we've been down a set and a break before. <laughs> I like and that. And they came back and won. They won every match at the national level. And it's just uh, amazing to see that that, it was that chemistry. These guys knew each other so well. Their their game plan was so honed over the years. And, and uh, I think it's really cool when you see that. And you see that at the pro level, too. They're not switching partners every tournament. They're really working on the effectiveness of a team. And so if you're able to, to do that, pick a situation where you can do that, then it really becomes something quite fun to do. Uh, but obviously a challenge in adult tennis is always something that comes up and we may have to, to, to play with somebody that we don't know quite as well. Um, so Josh, let's talk about, uh, some of our shared experiences, coaching doubles at the college level. Um, you know, what are some challenges? What are some things that maybe you've seen that have really worked well at the college level? Any, any, any stories that you have, what do you have? So I think one of the one of the challenges this is a strength and a weakness is that players in college tennis they they know each other really well. They spend a lot of time together. They you know they they generally see each other every day or just about every day. They're practicing together, they hang out together, maybe they live together, eat their meals, you know, classes, whatever it may be. And with that comes certainly a sense of closeness. It can also create, you know, there can be drama at times. And I think many of our listeners know that the USTA leagues can also have some drama at times, you know, oftentimes. And uh, with this, can it can be challenging at times to separate the, the drama or the, the personality um, differences or maybe the disagreements off the court 
from what you're trying to achieve on the court. Um, so that, that, that's one thing I think to, to keep in mind as it, as it, uh, relates to college tennis, both in terms of my playing and, and coaching days. Um, but I would say that, I mean, I've seen, I, I've seen some of the, the best and the worst, you know, some of the two players who maybe played together all four years or three of the four years, and they had great wins together, also losses, but never lost that sense of mutual respect. Always supported each other, never threw each other under the bus. I think that's, you know, if, if one player didn't play well or one player, I saw this one situation where somebody, they went for a tweener on match point, And as you might imagine, their partner wasn't, and, and they lost, they lost the point, they lost the match. As you might imagine, their partner was was not thrilled about that particular decision and caused some some serious tension. Um, and I think that's one of the the challenges that that can happen. That you know, after something like that, or after maybe just a loss, um, that that tension boils over, and then the next time maybe they have another match in a few days or the following week or whatever it may be that's still front front and center on their mind. So I think, um, you know, being able to put whatever disagreements, whatever tension, whatever drama from the past and keep it in the past and not be thinking about that on the court, especially in the heat of the moment, you know, if it's four, four, it's deuce point, whatever, whatever it may be being able to separate that from, all right, what, what do we have to do right now? What's like, like our conversation with Jorge Capistani and you know, he brought up this WIN, what's important now, which is oftentimes some sort of action statement, which is oftentimes, okay, where is the serve going? Where is the return going? Is the net player moving at the net? You know, what, what are we going to do with our game plan right now? Or maybe what's important right now is that supportive piece that we've that we've talked about a lot, where one player is down, one player just missed, and what's most important in this moment is to help bring that player up and to be that coach, to be that friend even, and to to help support that player. So I think the the challenge sometimes is putting whatever happened um, on the court in the past or the personal dynamics aside in that moment and really focusing on how can I be an effective teammate? How can I be an effective player right now? And what does that take? Does that take support? Does that take um, some sort of strategy discussion? Does that just take me executing on my job and my return or my serve or whatever it may be? So that, 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 that is one uh, that that's my perspective based on playing college tennis, based on coaching and just, just watching you see, I think I think another piece of this I'll, I'll add, and then I, I yeah would love to love to hear your perspective is that in college the doubles comes first. So um, maybe some of our listeners are more or less aware of the format in college tennis, but all every player on the team, whether they play singles or not, can play doubles. So oftentimes it's there's an there's an overlap between the singles and doubles players, and at least at the Division One level, uh, those three doubles matches count as one point. So when one team wins at least two of the three, they, they earn that one point. And then the, the six singles matches are, are each a point as well. And that one, that doubles point can often be the, the deal breaker, the tiebreaker between two teams. So 
making sure that you're starting off really strong and doubles can is utmost important and making sure that, you know, team members are on the same page and going at it with the right sort of mentality. And that, as you said, again, that mutual respect um, between team members that win or lose, we're in this together. We have that shared responsibility for, for this battle. And I think um, as college coaches, we probably can do a better job of, you know, helping that respect between players so that we're not talking about them later. I think um, if we get back to some of the, the communication piece. So what I noticed uh, in terms of successful doubles, especially at the ACC level, um, coaching ACC women's tennis, is that the teams that were more aggressive were more successful. And so, you know, when they're more aggressive, that's also indicative that they are uh, probably calling plays, yep. that they're being more strategic. So the teams that were crossing more, uh, getting to net more, were invariably more successful than, than other teams. And if we go back to, again, you, you alluded to something that we discussed with Jorge Capistani. Another aspect of that conversation was the idea of tennis IQ and thinking about breaking down the opponent. I think you and I discussed the idea of you know breaking down teams physically and mentally, maybe as another level of tennis IQ. And the, I think that's what teams were being more aggressive in this format because the other thing that has to do uh, with college tennis, the Division One level, it's only one set. Yep. So you don't have time to come back and win the second. There is no second. So that's why I think some level of aggressiveness can be really rewarded in that match is because you're, it's just a race to six. You don't have time to, to work yourself into the match. You really don't. Um, you at most can perhaps go down one break. But if you go down two breaks, it's it's nearly impossible, especially at a sort of a power five conference level. Um, it can happen perhaps at lower levels, um, even within division one. But uh, ideally, you have to get out on top of that. And I think you're right. It does set the tone for a college match winning that, that doubles point. Because now yep. what it means is our team only has to win three out of the six singles. The other team has to win four out of six, which... It's difficult, can be very difficult to do, uh, depending on the matchup. Um, so, yeah, it does lead uh, to a lot of momentum. On the other side, though, you're, there are going to be days where you lose the doubles point. And as a coach and as a team, you have to be able to reset immediately. It's not really the time to talk about what went wrong in doubles. Right. It's the time to talk about what are we going to do now? Right. So even going back to what's important now, you know, in that five minutes between the doubles and the singles, it's got to be what's important now. And what's important now is not a rehash of what went wrong in doubles. And, you know, I think sometimes that that happens. Uh, so we want to make sure that we are transitioning and getting players ready because it doesn't matter anymore. We lost the doubles point. Let's move on to, to, uh, to, to playing singles. Absolutely. And we talk a lot about within the match, um, in between points, how can we reset from a negative point, from a point that was lost, maybe a um, ill-advised decision on court, whatever it may be. And how can we put that frustration aside 
and move on to the next point. And in college tennis or in a team environment, it's often the same way as it relates to matches where how can we put aside this, you know, that, that one, that the doubles point that we just lost and remind ourselves that, Hey, this feels like a big deal in the moment. Sure. We, we wish we got off to a better start. There's still six matches out there of those seven points. Yes. We wish we won the, the doubles point, but there are six of the seven points are still on the table. So how can we put that aside? How can we reset and focus on the job at hand and focus on what's important now? Yeah. Very good. Um, so Josh, any other thoughts, uh, last thoughts on, on doubles and uh, tips for our listeners? I would say one thing to think about is the fact that doubles, playing doubles both in terms of what it can add. So some players, maybe they don't love doubles. They're more singles players. Um, and I think that people should understand that doubles can really add a lot to your singles game both in terms of what it can offer um, in terms of your strokes, you know, maybe it helps your serves, your returns, definitely your volleys, spending a lot of time up at the net, but also the, the mental aspect and the communication, having another player on the, your side of the court can help you conceptualize the, the sport, the, the strategy of the sport, the ups and downs, the mental component, how you can come back from, from those downs, from those, um, you know, the, those valleys, um, the, so to speak, peaks and valleys. Um, so having, you know, somebody else on the side of the court can really help you and in terms of your growth and how you view the game. So not only can it help, you know, certain pieces of your game, but also, um, in a successful doubles pairing, I think it can help your entire conceptualization of, of the game itself. I like that. And, uh, I, I think also if, let's say you are a person who maybe, quote unquote, doesn't like doubles, if you do go into it with an attitude of, all right, this is just a place I can use to practice this Yep, that I can then use in my singles game. I think John McEnroe was famous for that during his professional career. He often played a lot of doubles and he used that as, as, as practice. And he was a certain volleyer in singles anyway, but it would help with his serve. It helped with his volleys and so forth. Um, I think, I guess the last thing I would say about the whole doubles thing, Josh, is one thing that we can all strive to do when we go out there is to try to be the best teammate we can be. Yep, absolutely. I think if we go in onto the court with that intention, I think we'll feel better about ourselves. We'll feel more proud of how we behaved. But I think it will also help our team do better as well. I, I like that. And I think um, we talk... We've talked before, I'm sure we'll talk again about this concept of controlling the controllables and what, what is within your control, what is out of your control and you making that shot or you making that serve or your partner making that shot or that serve is totally out of your control. But being a good teammate, being supportive, giving those action statements and those, um, you know, those, those strategy instructions at time or, um, you know, helping your, your partner and, and being a great teammate is within your control. And sometimes it takes practice. Sometimes it takes just playing more doubles or playing more with that particular partner. But that is something within your control that even if you're not playing great tennis on that particular day, you can still be a great teammate. 
So yeah. I, I, I like that as a, as a way to end. Absolutely. Good. Good. Well, if anyone has more questions or um, wants us to address more topics with respect to doubles or any part of the mental game, please send us an email at uh, tennis IQ uh, podcast at gmail.com. Um, thank you for listening to this episode. F- please follow us on or subscribe to our podcast on the various podcast platforms, Google, Apple, Spotify. Um, also, if you have other questions, you can ask us via the hashtag tennis IQ on Twitter and our email. Um, and until next time, we will see you then. Mm-hmm.